hey everybody, this is Dana Shea and you are listening to Real Relationship Talk. You guys, I have a special guest for us today and it is my mom. My mom is genuinely one of my biggest supporters. Everything that I have ever done in my whole life, she has always been there cheering me on. And I love talking to my mom about parenting because she wasn't a perfect mom, but I think she did a lot of things right. And I have tried to emulate, especially the way that she talks to us about life. I try to emulate that in the way that I parent my kids. Another thing that my mom and I share is that we were both teen moms. Now, I know that statistics show that teen pregnancy has actually dramatically gone down over these last several years. And I think that's such great news. But I also think that it's a conversation that we don't really give enough attention to lately. We don't really talk about teen pregnancy and its effects on society, on young women, on young men. And I think that it's time that we kind of bring this conversation back to light. I got pregnant with my oldest son at 17 years old, and it was a crazy whirlwind, a crazy whirlwind of emotions. And listen, I, I, I know that there are a lot of opinions out there, whether you consider yourself to be pro-life or pro-choice or what have you. I think that you are going to walk away from this conversation with some new information, maybe, or maybe you're going to be challenged. And that's really always my goal is to challenge your thinking a little bit. And so we're going to talk about that. We are definitely going to go back to that day. We're going to talk about what happened and her response and how that affected me for the next several years. So if you're a mom, if you're a woman, maybe you want to listen to this conversation with your mom or with your daughter or with a good girlfriend. I hope that at the end of this conversation, you are going to be armed with some great new practical tools on how to talk to your children about sex. We talk a lot about that in this episode. We talk about why we need to talk to our children. What do we say? How do we say it? What questions do we answer? What questions don't we answer? So it's all kinds of really, really great stuff. I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. And let me just give you a big fat disclaimer, okay? My mom is a walking Bible, okay? So you're just gonna have to deal with that, all right? Um, I don't agree with every single thing that my mom believes. I don't agree with every single thing anybody believes and probably you don't either and some of her views might seem a little old-fashioned she is pushing 70 y'all okay but I think that if you listen to her wisdom you will find that it is wisdom and so again the purpose of us having this conversation is not so that you can agree on every single thing that she says or I say but so that you can actually begin to ask yourself What is it that I am teaching my children about their own sexuality and how am I actually setting my kids up to be responsible, productive, sexually whole human beings? And so without any further ado, here is the conversation that I got to have with my own dear mom. When I was thinking about this whole issue of teen pregnancy, I thought, I want to interview my mom. Um, So for those of you who do not know, my mom um, is, was, I should say, was a teenage mom 
And she didn't have me as a teenager. She actually had my older sister at 16 years old. And then I have another sister. And then I came along when my mom was 30. And so I grew up hearing, you know, obviously seeing my older sister, knowing that my mom was 16 when she had her. And the thing that I credit about my mom all the time is how open she was with us um, concerning conversations around sex, conversations around pregnancy. And so we're going to get into a little bit of that today. But I just want to thank you for being on the podcast, mom. Thank you for asking me. Absolutely. Well, you know everything about me, so you'll have to, you know, keep me in check with my stories and everything if I start to uh, exaggerate. (laughs) (laughs) Reel me back in. Um, All right, so let's just get right into it. So what were you taught about sex growing up? Unfortunately, all bad stuff. I was introduced to sex at 10 years old when I was sexually molested by my brother's father who taught me that sex was what men and women do when they love each other. And so he taught me um, sex was supposed to be fun. Don't be scared. He wasn't going to hurt me. He kept saying, I love you the whole time he was molesting me. Mm. So I kind of put together in my mind that sex was the way that people show love to each other. Wow. So that was obviously... A perverted sense of... The only thing my grandmother said when my mom brought us here to Virginia to live with her was, keep your legs together. Mm -hmm. So that was my sex education. So that was obviously a perverted, you know, kind of deep dive into no conversation. This is just kind of like what sex is right in front of your face and obviously um, in a very destructive way. And you said your grandmother really didn't tell you anything. What about your mom? I mean, obviously, I know your story, and I know that you didn't always live with your mom. But when you were with her, what did she teach you, either by her example or by her words? What did she teach you about sex? More so from her example, that sex was a bargaining chip. Um, You give them what they want, you get what you want. Uh, One time I tried to approach her about sex because I I was 13 then and I was liking this boy and she told me to get my grown tail out of her face Mm -hmm. so that was her her way of handling the sex education talk but more from watching her that's just what I kind of got you know you be nice to them they'll be nice to you got it so do you think that the way that you were raised and what you were taught negatively it sounds like um, do you think that that contributed to your, your what I call your sexually free lifestyle um, in your teens? Well, it wasn't as free as it may seem on the surface. It was really a search for love because, remember, I was equating sex with love. Uh, it was a way of getting love, and that was the bargaining chip. This is what you have to do in order to be loved. And I was always disappointed. Because teenage boys are not really into love. Right. You know, the hormones are in overdrive. And so I was always disappointed because I didn't get the love that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. I got a reputation. The boys were after me like somebody in heat and the girls couldn't stand me. Yeah, that's tough. Well, thank you for being so transparent with that, Mom. I appreciate that. 
So, okay. So you're a teenager, you're kind of looking for love in all the wrong places. I remember growing up and I would ask you all these wild questions because I'm just wildly inquisitive and I don't always have a filter. And I think the one thing you never told me was how many sexual partners you had. And I was like, come on, tell me, I want to know. Um, <laughs> and, um, and you obviously, you know, had your reasons for that. But when you were, so now you're a teenager and you're, you're sexually active and then you find yourself pregnant. What was that like? I was actually delighted because. When I was a little girl, I just always dreamed about being married and having children. Um, my way of escaping my abuse was to read. So when the abuse would be happening, I would just divorce my mind from what was happening to my body. Yeah. I would be off somewhere, you know, on a trip with these people in these books that I read and having this big wedding like some of the girls were having just in my little fantasy world. And so I just wanted to be a mom. Mm. And June Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver, your, your viewers may remember that story. The younger ones may not. But she was kind of like my model of what a mom should look like. So anyway, when I found out I was pregnant, I was elated. Because now part of my dream was coming true. I was going to be a mom. I was also a little bit scared because I wanted to be the best mom. and other than a TV show, I didn't have any real live models to follow. Mm -hmm. I was also excited because now I had someone that I could love and I could pour all these feelings of love into. So that was my, that was my reaction to finding out I was pregnant. Besides that, I thought my, my daughter's father, you know, had promised me that he would love me always. Yeah. So now this baby was going to tie us together for mm -hmm. always. And you're 16 years old. Yeah, my 16-year-old confused mind. That's what I believe. That's so interesting because I think, you know, we see shows like Teen Mom and all of these other reality shows that talk about these girls who are really making adult decisions. And so I just assumed when you found out you were pregnant, you were devastated, you were afraid, like, because that's how I felt, right? And we'll talk about my story in a little bit, but that's how I felt. And so when you told me that you were delighted, I was like, what? Like, what the world? You weren't afraid of what people would think about you or what, what you, you know, what, what your life was going to look like, how your life was going to change. Were you afraid of being a statistic or your mom throwing you out? Like, were there any kind of fears? That no. <laughs> One. Remember, I already had a reputation, so I wasn't really worried about people who were going to think any worse of me. Mm. Um, two, in a crazy kind of way, I felt like this was going to be a fresh start. Back in the day, you had to drop out of school when you were pregnant. So I had to drop out of school. I wasn't worrying about my mother kicking me out because she needed me to help take care of those other children. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't worried about being kicked out. And actually, she and I got along better those months that I had to be at home, couldn't go to school. Mm -hmm. She did some talking, not a whole lot, but she wasn't mean. She would just watch me, but she wasn't mean. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like a reprieve from the usual tension and turmoil of our home. Yeah. So how then, now your child is born, my older sister Michelle is born, 
How did you vow to do things differently as a mom? I never forget the night I went in labor. I was kind of scared. The pains began to intensify. I really got scared. That was my only fear was this pain Mm -hmm. that I was feeling. And my mom, to her credit, was there with me the whole time. She kept holding my hand and she just kept rubbing my face. And she kept saying, it's going to be okay. I'm here. I'm here. Hold my hand. Hold my hand. And when Michelle was born early that next morning, and they put that little girl in my arms, everything in me melted. And the first words that came out of my mouth was, Lord, teach me how to be a mother. Mm. And I was 16 at the time, did not know the Lord as my personal Savior because I looked at her so little, so mm-hmm. frail, and I felt like she's depending on me. So I just felt like I've got to be a different kind of me because I did not want her growing up the way I did. Mm-hmm. And I made a vow. I may not have a lot to give her, but I want her to know two things. She is wanted and that she is loved. Mm. Because those were the two things that I spent the majority of my life trying to find. So you also, because I know growing up, you were very open, as I've stated before, you were very open and you talked openly about sex with us. Was that something that you did intentionally or did you just find yourself being very different from what you had been raised in? It was intentional because number one, I think children should be taught the truth. They should be taught the beauty of sex, Mm -hmm. the way God intended it to be, not the perverted way that too many of us have found it to be. The other thing was I wanted you all to know true answers because kids are curious and they're going to ask. And if they can't get the answers from their parents, they're going to look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I know I got a lot of my answers out there in the street from kids who didn't know any more than I did right. or from men who were too willing to, I can show you better than I can tell you. Mm-hmm. So I did not want that for you guys. And I felt like I needed to be open. I needed to talk to you all. I needed to answer your questions honestly, candidly. And rather than hiding from the poor decisions I had made, Mm -hmm. I wanted to use them to be learning stones that you guys would not make the same mistakes. And I think that that's obviously the best way to parent. I think if you can have conversations with your kids that are honest, that are obviously age appropriate, but so many teenagers and, and kids, honestly, learn about sex from the internet, from their friends who don't know any more than they do, from somebody's mm-hmm. older brother, um, mm-hmm. or sadly, they don't learn anything at all. And I had done a video, oh my goodness, I think I did this video about two years ago, and it was on a sexless marriage. And um, that video is just, it's been, I, I'm still answering comments from that video all these years later. And one of the things that I talked about on the video was how, especially in the Christian world, a lot of parents do not teach their children about sex, their daughters especially, or their sons really, um, but they don't teach them. And so what happens is if a young woman has decided to not have sex until she gets married, she gets married and all of a sudden she's being thrown into this very sexual relationship and it can be very traumatic. And I've heard from women who have experienced that. And so now they're just expected to know all the things and perform and and it can just be very jarring. And so I think that parents really do need to um, just be very intentional about having not just the talk. It's not like a conversation you have one time. It's, it's really 
having that, that openness so that when you have a child like I was, who wants to ask you all the questions, I'm sure it was awkward. I don't know. Let me ask you, was it awkward to, to raise a child like me who asked all those weird questions? Sometimes I'll never forget oh. one time you asked oh, me. This, I don't know this what you're sex, about to say. <laughs> you said, mom, does sex hurt? And I said, not normally if your husband and I always put it in those parameters, husband, <laughs> right? Not if your husband is loving mm-hmm. and caring and sensitive to your needs. I said, it's a, be- a beautiful experience. I said, why'd you ask me that? You said, because I went past your room last night and you were crying. <laughs> oh, embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> Good thing I didn't say, because I peeked in there and I saw blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, that is yeah, really my... That would have been embarrassing. Oh, Lord. oh, my gosh. Like, and we have, obviously, you know, we have four kids and nobody has ever walked in or praise the Lord. I don't know now what, listen, I don't know what they've heard. I don't ask and they don't tell. <laughs> But, um, yeah, and it's, it's an awkward conversation. Like I think a lot of people avoid the sex talks because it's not like dinner talk. You know what I mean? But one thing I could say about you is if you ever felt awkward, I never knew it. Like you would answer me very matter of factly. You didn't do a lot of like beating around the bush and a lot of, you know, birds and the bees. I think I I was like, what, what? Like, I don't even know what that means because whenever (laughs) I would ask questions. You were just straight. Like you just, you told us about our body parts. You told us what we were going to experience when we started going through puberty. Like it, it wasn't this like shameful thing. And I really appreciate that. And you know, Dana, I feel strongly. It has to be the same thing with sex. Sex is God's gift to a married couple. And it is designed to be beautiful and intimate and fulfilling. You know, when I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, the scripture says they were naked and not ashamed. Mm -hmm. They were not only physically naked, they were emotionally naked, open to each other. Mm -hmm. It was not until after sin came into the world that the shame and the guilt came. And we live in a culture that is so drenched in sex, Mm -hmm. but it's more of a perverted view Mm -hmm. of sex. And, you know, uh, growing up, you hear the kids whispering like it's something dirty. This is big hush, hush. And the way adults, like you were just saying, adults won't be open and honest and talk to their children. And in doing that, they kind of affirm Mm. that sex is dirty. It's nasty. It's something you don't talk about. You just do it, but you don't talk about it. Right. And, um, but I think if parents put it in the parameters of the way it is intended to be as Mm -hmm. God's gift between a husband and a wife, because it is also, it's procreational to bring children into the world, but it's also recreational. It is to be enjoyed. Look at the song of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Goes into so much detail about the intimacy between the man and the woman, you know, and how Hebrews tell us that marriage is honorable and all. And the bed is undefiled. Mm-hmm. You're not to be ashamed when you're with your husband. Now, if we take the gift out of context, you're stealing, mm-hmm. which I always told y'all. But if you take the gift out of context, then yes, it's going to be wrapped with all this feelings of shame and guilt. Well, you just took us through the whole Holy Scriptures 
in <laughs> about two minutes. <laughs> and that's exactly how you used to teach us when we were kids. And, um, and so I remember being, I was probably six, like I was probably this young and I, I will never forget this day. And I'm not going to say her name, but one of my, I don't even know if I should say who, okay. This girl that I went to church with, um, if she was listening, she would remember this day because I traumatized this poor girl. So she was about five years older than me. So she was 11. I'm thinking she's old enough to know. Okay. So I just, you know, had all this newfound information that I had probably asked you about the night before. And so I remember we were in the church bathroom. And so I don't know why I just decided to have this conversation with her, but I was like, do you know that your dad gets on top of your mom at night under the covers? And she was like, no, he doesn't. My dad would never do that. And she literally ran out of the bathroom. And she was <laughs> like, you know, and, and I was just, I didn't understand like, well, what in the world is the problem? What's wrong with her? Because again, it was very normative for me um, to have these conversations because I was asking you at a very early age because I wanted to know. And when my friends would be talking at school and they would be talking about sex, I'd be like, no, 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 no. That is not how sex happens because my mom told me and she has sex. And so this is what really happens. And so I felt like it was my responsibility to educate all of my friends. And I'm sure their parents were, were very happy about that. So um, anyway, <laughs> well, let's, let's pivot a little bit. So, okay. So I'm growing up, I'm a, I'm a child. Now I'm becoming a teenager and Sean and I started dating. I was 14 actually, when I started actually dating him. And I don't think you and I ever had the birth control conversation because I always thought I would be a virgin when I got married. I was not planning on having sex outside of marriage. So I never really thought about that. But let me just ask you, what do you, what are your, what is your take on parents putting their kids on birth control? Personally, I do not agree for two reasons. One, I think if you put your child on birth control, you are kind of condoning, kind of silently giving your consent. Your mouth is saying, I don't agree with this. I don't want you to do this. But, and then you go ahead and provide them with the birth control. Teenagers take that as the okay sign. Mm -hmm. Number two, kids think that they're safe. I've got these pills now or whatever form of birth control they're going to use. I'm safe. I don't have to worry about getting pregnant. Birth control will take care of not getting pregnant, but there is no pill, no birth control on the market that will heal a broken heart. There is no pill on the market that will get rid of the shame and the guilt that you feel because you're going to feel that guilt because you know you're taking something you don't have a right to at the time. You've taken the gift before it's time. And so but those you, are my two reasons I'm strong about. Yeah, but you let me ask you, do that. you really feel that everybody feels that guilt? Because like when you said when you were a teenager, you didn't really feel guilt. You actually felt good about it. So I just want to push back a little bit and say, I don't know that everybody feels guilt. I don't think guilt. everybody may at the time, but usually, you know, sex feels good. Mm-hmm. There's no getting around that yeah. unless you got somebody who just doesn't know what they're doing or they're... Right. Uh, insensitive and all they care about is themselves. If you're with somebody who makes it pleasurable, at the moment, it feels good. There is no shame. The shame usually comes afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, what would my mom say if she knew this was out? This is what we're out here doing. Or, uh, oh, what if I get pregnant? You know, mm-hmm. those thoughts do kind of come in there. Mm-hmm. And 
So my thing is, I always told you guys, because you said, well, Mama, you knew we were having sex. Would you let us have some birth control? Not you so much, but your older sisters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, because I feel like if you think that you are grown enough and ready enough to be out here doing things that grown people do, then you need to be responsible enough to handle that. But I will not give you birth control. That right. would be like if my kid was on dope. I'm not going to go get them some because, oh, well, they're already on dope anyway. Mm-hmm. No. You know, raising kids, I have not had to put my kids on birth control, praise the Lord. So I do tell them I am way too young to be a grandmother. We'll just be doing something out of the blue. I'm like, I just want you to know I'm 39. And they'll be like, okay, mom. They know what that means. I'm 39. Keep that in mind. Um, <laughs> well, you already, you already passed the mark. My mother was a grandmother at 34. That's crazy. I was a grandmother that's at crazy. 36. That is crazy. <laughs> but okay, so that's a great, I'm so glad you said that. So let's transition into my story because I remember hearing that, you know, obviously I knew grandma Mildred was a teen mom. You were a teen mom. I got pregnant at 17. Well, first of all, my older sister got pregnant as a teenager. Then I got pregnant at 17. And I remember just feeling, first of all, like I just said earlier, I never expected that to happen to me. Um, I was, I was a good Christian girl. You know, I won all the Christian character awards and all of those things. And I, I had a reputation too, but it was a good reputation. It was like, Dana's going to be the president of the United States. And she, you know, all of these things, I had these super high um, aspirations and I already had my five-year plan and it was certainly not a welcome, you know, it wasn't welcome news. I was not happy about that when I found out. And so I remember I was in college, first year of college. I was on a full scholarship and I had come home for the weekend, which I often did. And I came home for the weekend and I was over some friend's house uh, at one of my girlfriend's houses. And, um, and they, I got dared to take a pregnancy test. And I was like, a pregnancy test? What the world? You know, I know I'm not pregnant. So yeah, that'd be like somebody asking me if I wanted to take a drug test. I'm like, I'm, I'm not on drugs. I've never done drugs. So sure. And that was exactly my attitude. I, it, th- th- there was no way possible in my mind that this thing would be positive. <laughs> O-M-G. So mm-hmm. I remember being in the bathroom and, you know, taking my little home pregnancy test and sitting there like, this is so funny. We were getting ready to go out that night. You know, this is so funny. And saw those little pink lines or whatever on that little stick. And I think I was in shock for the next nine months. I could not believe it. And so in that one moment, I felt like my life is over. Like Mm. everything that I have worked for, graduating high school early, having all these aspirations, how in the world am I going to do that? I'm going to lose my scholarship. Like all of these things came to mind because I knew I was only 17 and I was in college. So even if I would move, you know, I couldn't stay in the dorms. You can't stay in a dorm with a baby. And then I was too young to rent an apartment. You have to be 18 to sign a lease. So I knew that I would have to move, leave school, come back home. And and I just did not want to be a statistic. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that, like, I don't want to be a statistic. My mom has gone through this. My grandmother, my sister, like, I did not want this to be my life. And so I remember Sean and I having a conversation and I was so scared to tell him. I don't know why. Like, I didn't think he would, like, leave me. But I was just so afraid. Like, I think everything that I was feeling, I didn't want him to be feeling that same weight. And we just sat there like we were just stunned. 
we were so <laughs> stuck. I could not believe that this was happening. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't say anything. Well, I'm glad you think it was hilarious. It was not hilarious to me. <laughs> no, so I'm just hilarious that you were stunned. It's like, okay, what did like, you, what think did you expect? End, what did well, you see, think this the end the result was going to be? Well, this is the thing, right? So you were talking about birth control. So we were super careful. Like we were responsible, <laughs> quote unquote. We were not just having sex just, you know, freely. We we were using protection. We were mm-hmm. faithful. We were faithful about that. And so I thought... You know, you see there's like a point, you know, 3% change or whatever the, the percentage is. But you never think that's going to be you. Of course not. You know, and so now looking back, I'm like, okay, God for sure purposed this child, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that he purposes all children, not that he causes teen pregnancy. But I know that God has always had his hand on Chris's life. And so, mm-hmm. um, but I just remember just being... First of all, my after I kind of got over the feelings of shock and shame, lots and lots of shame, I was a disappointment. I felt like I was going to be such a disappointment to my church, to my friends. Everybody held me in such high esteem. And it was like, well, Dana can't, you know, possibly. And, and I had all of this pressure, I think, to be like this good person. And so right. then, but honestly, mom, like, I think the biggest thing was I was so afraid of disappointing you because I felt like that's, that's what I was going to be. I I felt like I was kind of like, you know, you know, not like the golden child or anything. My sisters would be like, yes, you are. Yes, you are. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I just, I was so afraid of disappointing you. And so I actually called one of our friends, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. I called her Mm -hmm. because she was just a little bit older than me. She was in her mid twenties and she was like that fun neighbor, you know, who I would go to her house and she let us do whatever we wanted to do. And she had been very um, honest with her story. And I knew that she had terminated some pregnancies. And even though I would always consider myself pro-life, you know, I always was like, no, life is valuable. You know, I don't believe in abortion, but at 17, when you're looking at losing your scholarship, not having any money, not knowing how you were going to pay for this, I was like, okay, maybe I will just have an abortion and we can just start over. We can just hit reset. We'll be super careful next time. So I called her because I thought she was going to help me feel better about this decision we were about to make. And, you know, Sean actually called one of his relatives and the relative was like, yep, I'll help you guys financially take care of it. And that was, that was our plan. And we didn't tell anybody. It was just him. Um, He knew, obviously I knew. And then this relative knew. And so I called our friend and the Lord like used her and she wasn't even a believer at the time. And I don't even know if she is now today, but God used her because she was like, Dana, you do not want to do that. She was like, that was the worst decision of my life. And I regretted it. And you're going to regret it if you do that. And I was like, um, that was not what you were supposed to say. I was not, I did not call you for that. Okay. And then she said, and plus your mom already knows. And I was like, what? Like what? Like I was so shocked because of course, like I'm thinking you have no idea. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, how do you know? How do you know that she knows? Like I was freaking out over the phone. And so she was like, you need to call your mom. And I was like, oh my God, like that was the one conversation that I was so afraid to have because I just knew that it was going to be a disappointment. So do you remember that conversation we had? Yes, I remember telling you, I said, Dana, I love you dearly. Nothing you ever do could ever change that. 
Mm. I said, am I disappointed? Yes, because you were so adamant that you wanted to be a virgin when you got married. And I always thought of all my three girls, you were the one who would be able to do it because that's the way you had been conducting yourself. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first found out you were sexually active, I was in the state of disbelief. Not Dana. No, <laughs> she is adamant that she is going to remain a virgin. Well, so, you know, I reminded you, <laughs> I told you, I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said, this is not the end of the world. Right. You know, God's grace is sufficient. We will get through this. Yeah. And you said, but I've messed up everything. No, yeah. I said, it's a postponement, perhaps, but you haven't messed up everything. And then I remember just hugging you and tell you, the one thing I want you to know, you are always loved and I'm always here. Yeah, that was gold for me. That was like, I mean, I remember driving around my college campus, you know, just literally feeling like my life is totally over. I Just the the sheer weight of shame. It was just, it was debilitating for me. And so hearing you say that, like your life is not over, we're going to get through this, like those, it, it was like fresh air. It was, it breathed life into me again when I felt like I'm done. I'm going to be a statistic. I'm going to have to work at Walmart. No offense to those who work at Walmart. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so hearing you say you're going to get through this. And then I remember, you know, we put, t- we put together a plan. It was like, okay, you're going to have to come back home and you're going to have to find a job. And I remember at the time you were a school teacher and, you, and I was of course covered under your health insurance, but they didn't cover dependent pregnancies. And so you said they don't cover dependent pregnancies. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And you're like, you're going to have to find your own insurance. And I'm like, what? Like, I didn't know anything about insurance. And so you said you should get a job that offers you free health care, or at least they pay for a portion of your health care. And this was like just absolute like foreign gibberish to me. I had no idea what you were talking about. And just by the grace of God, I was able to find an amazing job, you know, at 17 years old with no experience. I was making a nice amount of money and I had benefits starting the first day, full health care. It was, it was literally the grace of God on my life. And so I'm just so grateful that even throughout my mistakes, um, that God, he's just been faithful and he has provided and, and continues to provide a way. And so for my kids, we tell them our story. I mean, me and Sean's wedding pictures, Chris is six weeks old in his little white tuxedo. So they know that, you know, we didn't do the first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby cares. Like we kind of got that a little bit confused. So they know that, but I, I've taken a lot from you, mom, and talking to my kids about sex and having these conversations um, often. And I remember when Chris was 14, having this conversation with him and just that was I had conversations with him up until that point but I think that was probably the most real and raw conversation that I had had and I had been telling Sean okay you need to be talking to this boy he's going through puberty and he's about to you know go crazy and you need to talk to him and and so and I do think it's both like I don't think that just because it's a boy just the dad needs to talk to the child and just because it's a girl that just the mom needs to talk I think it's really powerful if you are in a two-parent household to have both mom and dad sit down and have a conversation with the child. And it doesn't have to be like this serious, like, okay, we're going to have a family meeting. Like, I think sometimes you can just, as you're out and about, like I think of the scripture in Deuteronomy that talks about, you know, 
as you're walking down the road and as you're going about your life, these are the things that you need to teach your children. Now, obviously, it's talking about teaching them the book of the law, but I think that that is also applicable in teaching your kids life skills, talking to your children, having conversations, letting them ask you those weird, awkward questions and answering them as honestly as you can. Yeah. I remember also talking to Sean because, you know, I didn't put the whole weight on you that this is just your responsibility. Right. You know, and sat down and talked very candidly with Sean. What do you guys plan to do? Mm -hmm. And he was in school too at the time. Right. But to remind him, you all have created a life, a life that has to be taken care of. I will help you as best I can, Mm -hmm. but that is your responsibility. And to his credit, Sean stepped to the plate. He did everything he could because I love how he stepped up to the plate. He didn't make excuses. He didn't try to run and hide. You know, he probably had some dreams and aspirations too that were now going to be put on hold. Yeah. And the one thing I remember he told me, he said, Miss P, because that's what they always call them. Miss P, I love Dana and I will never abandon her and I will take care of my responsibilities. And I think it wasn't too much longer when you guys came and said y'all wanted to get married and start planning it and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for the young man involved, you, we talk a lot about the girl. Right. And I guess because when she's pregnant, she's going to come home. So you kind of like bring the situation back home. Mm-hmm. But most guys, they don't have to deal with that. The guys have to go through some changes too. Right. And they have to set some plans aside. They have to look at reality. You know, like this part of my life, I had planned for it to be maybe 10, 20, 30 years from now. Well, it has hit me now. And so it causes some changes there. Mm-hmm. But you have to be candid in talking to your children but sometimes you know your children get in situations you can't fix Mm -hmm. all you can do is mentor stay on the sidelines and be their greatest cheerleader and support Mm -hmm. and help them through what they're going through but I think we always have to let them know you make decisions and that's why even from little kids you start teaching you make decisions but you look at the consequences Look at both sides of the story, because whatever you choose to do, you're going to have to deal with those circumstances. Right. Now, this has been so good. I didn't I didn't know this was going to turn into like a parenting one on one session. But, you know, that's what's needed. I think there's so many parents who let the TV, Netflix, YouTube raise their kids and they are not having these conversations with their children. So sometimes we do use humor. Sometimes it's like we'll use humor to kind of break the ice a little bit and then we can actually have a real conversation. I was going to say earlier, sometimes parents think, okay, we've got to like sit them down and have a family meeting, but you can really do it driving in the car. I was reading a book once that said that's some of the best times to have these important conversations with your kids because the kids don't have to give you eye contact. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're driving down the road. They're looking out the window. You're looking out the window. And so it, it takes some of the pressure off. But I think the best thing that parents can do is to be a safe place, to not yeah. be judgmental, 
Um, we're dealing with a lot. Kids are going through a lot of even like sexual identity stuff right now, wondering like, you know, what am I? What gender am I? You know, and I think that regardless of what your beliefs, I think parents need to just be a safe place for their kids because kids, they're exploring, they are curious, um, they want to know how things work, you know? And so I was having a conversation with my friend, Jess, she's uh, a sex therapist, Jess McLeese. And we were, she was actually on the podcast, I think a couple of episodes ago, maybe episode two or three, but we were talking about on that podcast, how important it is even to teach your children the correct names of their body parts and to not start introducing shame at this early age. I could go on and on um, forever about this because it's something that I think is so important. I think that, you know, there are so many kids who who are, are really having to teach themselves about sex and whether it's reading, which probably most kids are not reading a book on sex. Most of them are watching porn or they're listening to an older sibling or a friend, or some of them are just having sex to figure out what sex is. Of course, that leads to teen pregnancy and STIs and all these other things um, that we could talk about. So I just want to thank you, Mother, for um, just being, for breaking the mold, honestly. You know, and I, I know how you grew up and I know you, you had a rough life and we were raised very differently. I, I didn't have the perfect childhood either, but I'm grateful that you taught us our our worth and our our dignity as young women and that's something that I've tried to pass on to Kayla and to the boys um to let them know you know we respect women and you respect yourself too just because you're a boy doesn't mean you have to be out here sleeping around with all these people and I don't care what the culture is telling you and so I think those conversations um from parents are so important because that's that's where kids get their identity and their worth and value from is from their parents Yes. I would say to parents, the one thing that we can give our children is that they can trust us. I think we have to be open with our kids. So many parents hide. They don't let their children see them as a real person who has real struggles. And, you know, it's like if we close the door to that and we just forget that part of our life ever happened. And Sometimes doing that makes us seem so unapproachable. Right. You know, we're afraid sometimes, well, if my kids know this about me or know that about me, maybe they won't respect me. But I found in talking to you guys that the more open I was with you and sharing things and letting you see my vulnerabilities and letting you and being transparent, I believe draws closer together. It created an atmosphere where you felt like you could ask questions. Mm-hmm. And when you did ask questions, I tried to be as honest as I could, um, telling you what I felt that you can handle as you progressed in life. Some of the little gory details I kept to myself because you didn't know, need to know all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as a parent, number one, you have got to let your child know, just like the Lord says about us, that nothing can separate us from his love. We've got to let our children know that same thing about us nothing you do can ever make me stop loving you. So good. And I am here for you. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks, mom. I appreciate you. Love you bunches. Buncha, buncha. That's what I used to say. Buncha, buncha. How many of you guys are going to start saying buncha, buncha to your kids now? (laughs) 
I'm so happy I was able to have that conversation with my mom. I know she was secretly wanting me to ask her to be on this podcast. So thanks, mom. Thanks for obliging. And uh, thank you so much for what you gave us today. So guys, I am just so grateful for you. I am having the time of my life. I told somebody that not too long ago. I said, this is probably one of the most fun seasons of my life. I am loving this podcast and I hope that you are loving it too. Several of you have written reviews and you send me your Facebook messages and your Instagram direct messages and you let me know how much this podcast is encouraging you and that means the world to me. And so I just want to thank you guys for listening. Those of you who have listened to every episode or maybe this is your very first episode, welcome. Welcome to the party. Thanks so much for your support. Guys, I'm excited. We have Tony and Alyssa DeLorenzo of One Extraordinary Marriage. They are going to be joining us for the podcast next week. They were a couple that I thought they are never going to come on this little brand new baby podcast, but they surprised me and they said yes. And we had an amazing conversation. If you don't already know who they are, check them out at One Extraordinary Marriage. You'll be able to hear much more from them on our episode next week. So as always, I have all the podcast show notes for you over at danashay.com slash podcast. And don't forget, I'm giving away a free ebook called The Five Relationship Mistakes That Are Wrecking Your Life. You need this ebook, you guys. Even if you have a great relationship, you need to see if there's some hidden mistake that you might be making that is going to potentially cause you some harm in the long run. So check that out on my website as well. You can get that at danashay.com slash relationship dash mistakes. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you on the next episode. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.